my name is Jared. I'm the student ministry pastor here at Olive Ranch. Thanks for being here. Uh, I was asked uh, by the staff to, since it's coffee Sunday and it's daylight savings, and to give out uh, these little gift boxes inside are chocolate-covered coffee beans. So if you like chocolate and you like coffee beans, or maybe you're sitting with someone, they like coffee and you like chocolate, you can eat the chocolate, give them the bean. Uh, um, but I, I, so I'm curious, like, who feels like maybe they got the most sleep last night? Just, how many hours would you get? Eight. Eight, eight hours? <laughs> Do you think that's the most? I hope that's not the most for this one. Anybody get more than eight? Yeah, back here, how many? Nine? Ten? Man. Someone got 10 hours in the first service. I don't know how you get 10 hours and show up to the first service on a Sunday morning. Here, I don't know whether to throw, hey, Magnus, why don't you make yourself useful? There you go. Throw that, take that back for, for right there because they got 10 hours. They get the most sleep. Who feels like they got the least amount of sleep? Yeah, how, what'd you get right here? Two hours? How are you, how are you, how are you, how are you here? Anybody get less than two? Anybody just pull an all-nighter? No? All right, here you go, rock star. That's for you. Two hours of sleep. You should probably have both of these. And, uh, and then, Magnus, why don't you give that one to whoever looks the most tired? So just go ahead and stand up. And just take a good, good look out there. Whoever looks, it's a gift. You're just showing them love. Have fun with that. Everyone's like, I don't know. Should put more makeup on. Good luck. This will be interesting. It's all right. Where's he going? Sweet. There you go. Congratulations. Enjoy those. Better him than me. All right. Um, hey, let's pray real quick before we get into this. God, uh, we just, again, we thank you for um, just providing this place to be able to come together and uh, just get to know other people who know you, God, and just really just to get to know you. So more than anything, we just ask that this morning does that, that it helps us to get to know you more. Um, and God, that it just helps us to get to know each other and go closer to a community and, and in you. So it's your name we pray. Amen. All right. So, uh, now, again, so I'm the youth pastor, and, and as I was prepping for the message this weekend that Greg asked me to, to speak on, uh, in preparation for it and just talking with leaders and stuff, one thing that we kind of realized is that we, we, needed, we needed to make a statement. And the statement um, that we need to share, that we want to share with everybody, is that Greg can't be, uh, that Greg's not going to be uh, the, the head pastor. He's not going to be the lead. He can't, he can't do it. Uh, some of you are smiling. Some of you are panicking. If you're smiling, you're picking up on it. That's good. April Fool's is on Easter this year, so it would be mean to play a joke then. And maybe it's still mean to play the joke now. But the reason I share that is because our verse today that, that, that we're looking at in Colossians in this series we started is Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So it's, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the one who's supposed to be the head of the church. He is the one who Who's on top? It's not Greg. It's not anybody else. Um, that's kind of what we're going to look at today. Um, but but our focus really is specifically in today. Paul trying to address to Christians in Colossae that hey, it's not some other leader or teacher or idea or you or anything, right? That's the head of the church. It's Jesus. He is the one who is the head. He is the one who should be first. He is the one who's preeminent. He's the one with the supremacy. He is the one with the authority. Nothing in no one else. But the problem is, is as 
Greg introduced last week is we sort of, and that we see with uh, Colossae and Colossae and even with ourselves, is that we apply filters to Jesus, which is what this section of scripture is really about, is Paul's addressing essentially all these different filters uh, that the Christians in Colossae have placed over Jesus in some way, shape, or form. And today, specifically, what we're looking at is, is how the Christians in Colossae and how we ourselves place filters over Jesus and his role within the church, within uh, the body. With him, he's supposed to be the head of the church. But as I was processing through this just idea of like filters and and why do we add filters, right? We have like Instagram and there's filters on there. And so generally when we're trying to add a filter, when we add a filter to anything, our hope in it is that in some way we're trying to make it better or unique, or if we're changing something, it's to make it more convenient or easy or whatever, right? Um, and, and as people, we are willing to do that to anything and everything, even something that if it's already good the way it is, and maybe even perfect the way it is, we still try to add filters. And a few weeks ago, like the perfect illustration for this moment happened at the NBA All-Star Game. Um, Fergie was asked to sing the national anthem. If you saw it or heard it, or if you were there, um, how you survived, I don't know. Uh, But if you haven't, I can't really move forward without sharing it with you. Yeah, let's play basketball. (laughs) Tell them, Fergie. Now, I don't want this to be a bashing Fergie, uh, you know, point. Because here's the deal, when you're an artist and you try to do something creative, there's always the chance, especially if you're a really good artist and you want to be really creative, there's always a chance that what you put out there, like people aren't going to get, they're not going to understand, they're not going to hate. Uh, based on the reactions in the video and our reactions, most people didn't get it or understand it, right? But here's the thing, with the national anthem, it's a really good song and, and we've all heard it sung you know, a bunch of times in our lives, at sporting events and wherever, and in and of itself, it's a really good song. It's done really well. If you just sing it the way it's meant to be sung, it's good. You don't need to do anything else to it, but for whatever reason, there's something in us that just says, I, we need to change it. We need to add more. It needs to be different. It needs to be unique. And so we're always trying to apply filters to things. And the same was true for the Christians in Colossae with Jesus. They, they, they wanted it to be more. They wanted it to be unique. They were just trying to add more to Jesus. And we do the same thing. And why do we do that? Why do we apply filters specifically to Jesus's role as the head of the body of the church, right? The body and us, we're just members of that body. And so we we place filters over him as the head of all of us and as the head of us as individuals, uh, of us as individuals. I have this basketball hoop over here. Um, Now I'm 6'5", after a good stretch now. Uh, And and my whole life, I'm generally taller than most people. And people, like when they meet me, specifically if I happen to hug them, they're like, wow, you're tall. Did you play basketball? No, I, I like, I didn't, no, I didn't play basketball. And like every time it's like they're disappointed with me. Like, and so most of my relationships start with disappointment. Like, why didn't you play basketball? It's really hard to live up to that. But because I'm tall, right? And there's, I'm sure there's people out there taller than me even who've had to struggle with this, right? So here's the, on a normal hoop, uh, like indoor hoop, this is an outdoor hoop from the youth property, if you couldn't tell from the duct tape. Uh, and, and on a normal hoop, right, like indoor, like the net will hang down. On my tiptoes, I can like hit the net. Like touching the ground, I can hit the net. What I can't do is I can't dunk on, on, on a hoop. I just, I can't. Like on a good day and a good altitude, like elevation, whatever, I can, uh, I can touch the rim. But I definitely cannot dunk. It's too high. So if, if 
people like me, right, who can't dunk, if we want to dunk on a hoop like this, there's this really awesome invention back here that I don't know what it's called, but I call it the dunk crank, all right, where you crank the thing down or you adjust the hoop size where you lower the, the hoop, the rim, so that way you can dunk on it. Because if there's one way to score a basket, it's by dunking the basketball, right? It's like a 100% success rate. Unless you're trying to showboat, then you can miss a dunk and that's, that's pretty embarrassing. But for the most part, like we all want that 100% success rate in life, right? We don't want to, we don't want to miss the mark. We don't want to be looked at as someone who misses shots, who makes mistakes, who's a bad person. And so what we do in life, and specifically with Jesus's role in the church, is it's easier for us to put a filter on him and lower his authority and lower his influence and lower his role in the church and in our lives so that it might make us look better or so that church and faith is more convenient or spectacular or whatever and we change the standard that Jesus sets because the standard that he sets is super high. So for us, it's, it's, it's way lower and we put these filters on him and it's sad that we believe them, but we believe them, I think, sometimes intentionally and sometimes just unknowingly, we, we, we find ourselves in them because they're just, they're easy, it, it makes it easier. It feels better. It says, I don't need faith. Or I, I, faith can be whatever I, I want it to be. Church can be what I think it should be or whatever. And, and it, it lowers the standard that Jesus sets for us. But he is the head of the body of the church. And so just as, as Christians in Colossae struggled with placing these filters over Jesus and specifically removing him as the headship and authority in the church, in the body of believers, we still struggle with that today. And so I want to look at four different ways that we typically uh, lower Jesus's role and influence in the church and elevate something else. And so the first thing we do is uh, we elevate people over Jesus. Um, I, I joked in the beginning, uh, and maybe you thought it was funny or not, or or too far or whatever, but I joked in the beginning that Greg's not going to be the head of the church anymore, right? That he's not going to be the, Greg is on staff, he's still going to be the leader of Olive Branch and all that, um, and he's awesome, and I'm not just saying that because he's in here. Uh, he's the greatest pastor ever, and his hair's always perfect, and he's awesome. He's just always so nice. Um, and, uh, <laughs> sorry. Stay on track. And so we elevate people over Jesus, right? And, but the thing is, is, is I joked about Greg being the, not being the lead, but, but we do that. We do that with pastors. We, we do that with spiritual leaders, with priests, with whomever, and we make them as the authority of the church, as the one who has the final say and the only say of what the church should do or what we should do as individual believers. And that's not the way it's supposed to be, but this isn't a new problem in the church. This has existed since the church was established. Paul writes specifically, Corinth had a lot of issues, and this is one of the issues they had in Corinth, was elevating people over Jesus as the head of the church. And, and Paul tells them, 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 13, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there's quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Those are some like really harsh rhetorical questions. Um, a couple of chapters later, he says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. 
And so you see Paul speaking this issue, like stop elevating people over Christ. Christ isn't divided. You weren't baptized in the name of me. You weren't baptized in the name of Paul. None of us were baptized in the name of Greg, right? We weren't baptized in the name of a pope. We were baptized all in the name of Christ. He is the one who is the head of the church. And yet we, since the beginning, as people, for whatever reason, try to place people as the head of the church. When that's reserved exclusively for Jesus. I think one other way that, that I see people do this, and, and maybe more than any other way because I'm a youth pastor, is I see students who are raised in the church and, and, and their parents are, are, you know, they're believers and they're raised in the church and they teach them about Christ and all that. And, um, but what happens is, is their faith isn't really their own faith. Their faith becomes their, is really the more their parents' faith. And their parents kind of have that, that place of authority of their church and their faith, right? Their parents become the head of their church and their faith. And what happens is, is just as all of us, we reach that age, some of us, it's younger than others, uh, where we realize, man, our parents like are not really all that great of people. Like they got some for real issues. And, and we begin to call them out. Like when our, well, the first time our parents really let us down, not just because they don't give us what we feel like we want, but because there's like a real moral failure, like that's a disappointing moment because for whatever, I think even more so for, for kids who are raised in the church, because there's this idea that, oh, they're, they're perfect. They love God and they want me to be perfect like Jesus. And, and then when that moral failure happens or, or when a pastor fails morally or says something offensive or wrong or whatever, it causes people to make the decision to leave the church, the church or their faith because of a person. And that only happens if you put that person above Christ as the head of your faith and ahead of the church. And so it's important to make sure that we don't elevate people over Jesus. The second way that we uh, tend to add this filter over Jesus is we elevate philosophies over Jesus. Now this is sort of a very broad idea and like we could like nail down a different philosophy issue uh, for every week for a couple years. Um, and so I'll just try to give a couple examples. But a philosophy is, is this. It's just to say this is the way you do something. This is, this is why you do something, right? So you can have a philosophy of life. I believe life should be lived this way. Um, or a philosophy of parenting. I believe parenting should be done this way. Or a philosophy of business. Business should be done this way. Or a philosophy of ministry or whatever, right? A philosophy is just to say I believe something should be done a certain way. And so there's there's the potential that even though a philosophy can be good in and of itself, a good thing or good idea, if it ever is elevated as the thing that influences us, influences us the most in our lives or that we consider to influence that should influence the church the most, that's when it becomes an issue because Jesus is the only thing that should be that, uh, that person as the head, not, not any philosophy. And he actually has this uh, interaction uh, in Luke 10, verse 38 through 43, where you kind of see a philosophy be elevated over Jesus. So it says, as Jesus and his disciples, this is Luke 10, 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. 
Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her, right? So in this moment, you have Mary's philosophy of Jesus wants to teach. That's the most important thing. I need to sit at his feet and learn. You have Martha's philosophy is I have guests in my house. I need to prepare this place for the guests. I need to serve these guests. Like both sound like good things to do, right? So how is it that serving guests, taking care of your home, right? Like even like we have Easter coming up. We, Greg had a video up here that said, hey, on Easter, we have guests coming in. Let's park as far away as possible so our guests can feel welcome and, and, and be, have, the, have a comfortable visit and be welcomed and feel loved here. Let's sit on the seats on the sides where the sound isn't as good, right? Let's come to the services where maybe less people are likely to go because we want our guests to feel welcome. That's a good philosophy to have is to take care of your guests and to love your guests. But even that good philosophy can become bad if it becomes elevated over Jesus. As you see here, for me specifically, this is something that God always brings back to me, um, being a professional minister, right? Someone who's in ministry professionally. And I like to phrase it as, don't let running a ministry get in the way of ministering, right? Because what happens is, is, is on staff at a church, this is an organization, or just like any business or organization, there's a lot that goes in to making this place function and work. And, it, and there's a lot of planning that goes into stuff. And so what happens is the temptation can creep up on me specifically to tell a student or someone, hey, you know, I can't make it to your thing this weekend, or I can't, I can't meet with you and, and like be with you in your time of need because I got a staff meeting I got to go to, or I got this calendar event thing I got to plan, or, you know, like, or I got to be in the office, or like, like little like things, right? Like running the ministry gets in the way of ministering. And so it's this idea of not letting some philosophies overtake Jesus. Like wanting to do good work in the church is not a bad philosophy, but if it gets in the way of doing the good work that we're actually called to do, then it's bad. A couple other ways I've seen this played out. Um, sports are fun. Great philosophy. Basketball, fun. I can't jump, but I still enjoy playing. I'm a Laker fan. I love watching the game. Um, right? Sports are fun. We, we love to play sports. But when sports become elevated as the ultimate authority in our life, the thing that is influencing us as a church, as a body, as individuals, a part of that body, that's when the issue, or that's when there becomes issues. That's when there becomes division. And ultimately, that's when there really starts to become a separation and, and a bigger guarantee that we might lose our faith or walk away from Christ. Now, I have friends who uh, have been in a professional sports league or are currently in professional sports league, Major League Baseball, NFL, and they're godly guys, and, and I've seen them keep Christ as the head of the church. And when you're a professional in a sport, in Major League Baseball or the NFL, right, it requires a lot of your time to devote to that sport so you can be at the, at the peak, so you can be amongst the best, so you can keep your job in that sport. But they don't lack on keeping Christ as the head because a lot of times what happens is, right, sports might take over our weekends and so we can't come to church on Sundays or Saturdays. But if this is the only place where you come to be a part of the body with Christ as the head and you do sports, well, then very quickly sports can be something, sports being fun can be a philosophy that can take over Christ leading your life and leading the church. And so you have to be extra intentional in, in meeting with believers during the week and doing studies and just being intentional that I've seen uh, 
you know, some of my friends do uh, as they play sports. One other philosophy, probably maybe even the, the other biggest, most common one, is a, f- a political philosophy will take the place of Jesus as the ultimate authority in our life. Now, usually I stay away from politics, especially on social media, because that just kills friendships every day. Uh, but, but here's the thing, right? And maybe it starts out like this. Like, you, you, you're young, and so you don't have, like, a political affiliation other than what you think your parents want you to be or whatever. Um, but you, you're a believer, let's assume. And so you're going to use your conviction in, in studying God's word and prayer and counsel to vote on this proposition coming up on a ballot that, that you're passionate about. So you're passionate about this one proposition, and, and so you're going to pray about it, and you feel convicted, and then you come to find out after the fact that the way you voted is the way Democrats voted, or the way you voted is the way Republicans voted. And so then you tell yourself, oh, I must be a Republican, or I must be a Democrat. Now, there's nothing wrong with having political philosophies, but when they become the ultimate authority in our life, when people look at us, and they, don't, they no longer know us for our relationship with Christ, but they know us for our relationship with an elephant or a donkey— then we've got some issues. When people see us, they should see our relationship with Christ over anything else. It's okay to love sports. It's okay to uh, have political philosophies, right? They're, they're good. They can be good, especially when they're in agreement with Christ. But when they replace him as what has the ultimate authority in the church and the body of believers, that's where issues really begin to take shape. The third way that we tend to uh, lower Jesus um, is we elevate theology over Jesus. And this one might sound a little bit backwards because like, wait a minute, like theology, study of God, right? Isn't that like part of being like a good Christian? Isn't studying God like, like, like a part of having him as the head of our lives? Well, yeah, for sure, it's part of it. But like anything, even a good thing can become a bad thing if it replaces Jesus as the most important thing in our life. And you might be thinking, what does that even look like? Like, how, how can you tell? Like, how can it be bad? Uh, in Matthew 23, 1 through 3, Jesus speaks to it himself. He says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But don't do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. That's, that's what placing theology above Jesus as the authority in your life looks like. Because here's what your life looks like. You care about learning about God and you care about knowing more about him. And that's good, but it's what you care the most about. And so much so that it's what you think everybody else should care the most about. And so instead of caring about them actually being with Christ, you care more about them knowing Christ. It might look like this. If you were to want to set a couple up on a date and you have your friend, you're like, hey, I want you to meet this person. They're perfect for you. But, you know, I'm not going to actually take you to introduce you to them. I just want to tell you some facts about this individual and what you should think about them. And then you can decide whether or not to be in a relationship with them. As opposed to actually showing them Christ, it's just about telling them about their knowledge. You stop caring about people's hearts and them as individuals, and you just care about what they know. And we become people that, that, that don't love as well. Because all we're concerned with is what they know. Well, I lost a good friend in my life because uh, they reached this point where they just got obsessed with the knowledge uh, and just learning about God, and, and that to where they stopped living it out. It just it didn't become a practical thing in their life. It was just ideas that they, they fell in love with as opposed to actually living it out and letting it be something that doesn't just fill their brain but also fills their hearts. 
So we have to be careful not to do that. The fourth way that we uh, tend to filter Jesus is we elevate ourselves over Jesus. We elevate ourselves over Jesus and we put ourselves in a position of, I'm the head of the church, the body, and, or I'm the head of my faith. And this is probably the most common way that, that, that honestly we do this. Um, and 1 Corinthians, again, the Corinthians had a lot of issues, and, and Paul speaks to this issue uh, to the Corinthians, and he says this, says, even so, the body is not made up, and this whole like section of Corinthians is on this idea, but I'm kind of taking a couple sandwich passages here um, to get the context. So, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand cannot say, or the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. When you're a part of the body, you need all of us. But the problem is, is when we elevate ourselves as the authority and the head of the church, and therefore our own faith or other people's faith, we, we, we put ourselves in a, in a mindset that is consumer-minded and, uh, and, and comparative-minded. We're constantly comparing ourselves to others and others to us and, on, and just and our own desires. What do we want? And so we, we say things like, you know what? This church doesn't have what I need. This church isn't doing what I feel it should be doing. This church doesn't think, is, uh, this church doesn't think what is most important is what I think is most important. And, or we even say things like, oh, man, I just don't think I belong here. Or even worse, we'll say something like, you don't belong here. And what's sad is, is when we elevate ourselves over Jesus, and man, I got to be honest, like this is hard not to do sometimes. Because I think the intention, well, our intentions might be good, right? But anytime we elevate ourselves over Christ as the authority of the church, the head of the church, it's never good. Especially when it causes us to say things like, I don't belong here, or you don't belong here. We have to have this player mindset, right? Like if you were to kind of use the basketball analogy because I have a hoop on stage. Uh, if, if you're on a basketball team and you're a player and you're the one trying to dictate who gets the playing time, who makes the team and who doesn't, that usually doesn't work out too well. That's why you have a head coach because it's the head coach's job to make those decisions. And even if you're LeBron James and you try to make all the decisions in the world, Look at the, Cle the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. If you don't follow the NBA, the Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron James, probably the best player in the NBA. We can debate that later. Uh, um, he tries to run the team. And that team had major shakeup in the middle of the season because he's disappointed with how it's going. And he's trying to dictate who's on the team and who isn't. And it just instantly causes division in the team and struggles within that team. It's the same thing with the church. We, as members of the church, we have to keep that player mindset, that I'm a member of the body mindset. It's not up to us to dictate who's in the team or who is a part of the body of believers. We don't get to dictate that about ourselves and we don't get to make that decision about others. Because here's the thing, we don't fit in with Jesus because of how we fit in with each other. We fit into the body of the church because of how we fit in with Christ, not because of how we fit in with each other. The person next to you doesn't belong to Christ because of how they fit in with you, because of how they connect with you. 
You don't belong here because of how you fit in with the person next to you. You both fit here. You all, we all fit here. It's not just here, all of branch, but here in the body of the church of Christ because of how we connect and fit in with him. I've been blessed to serve and, and, and be in ministry, right? And, and God has, has uh, given me the opportunity to, to do ministry in a lot of different cultures and different countries in the world. And one of my favorite things is, is you can sit down in another country at a church service with someone you don't, you don't share the same language, you don't share the same hygiene standards, you don't like, and none of that. You have nothing in common but they feel like a brother or sister, not because of what's connected and what we have in common here, but because of what we have in common and how we fit in with Christ. And that's the way it's supposed to be. We should never be people that say, I don't belong, or you don't belong, or this church isn't doing what I think it should be doing. We have to remain a part of the body and not try to be a part of the head. Um, and, and, and to be honest, when we do any of these things, when we elevate a person or a, an idea or, or ourselves over Jesus as the head of the church and, and the body, what, what will likely happen is this disappointment will happen because nothing is perfect besides Christ. So when those things disappoint us, you might find yourself in a place where I found one of my former students um, a few weeks ago. One of my former students a few weeks ago posted on Facebook, uh, I can't do it anymore. I've been trying to do this, this Christian thing for so long and I've been following Christ and I feel like I've been doing a really good job and it just feels like it's not worth it. And I have a pretty good relationship with this person and so I was just, I commented back knowing that I could give some truth and the person would know that it's not like judgment but just love. And I just said, listen, I'm like, if you ever feel like Jesus is worth walking away from, it's probably because you've elevated something else over him. It's probably because your, your source of strength and your authority is not actually in Jesus, but you've put someone or something in place of him as the head of the body of the church and as the head and ultimate authority in your life. And so when we find ourselves in a place where we just ever feel like, man, it's just, I don't know if it's worth it to be a Christian, you have to ask yourself, what filter am I placing over Jesus? What am I elevating over Jesus as the head of the church? or head of my life. And so it's important to make sure we don't elevate something over Jesus just for our own sake and our own relationship with him um, and for the health of the body of the church, right? But it's also important for one other reason. And Paul writes to, to the Christians in Ephesus, Ephesians 1, 23, Paul says, and God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and he appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church is the fullness of Christ. In other words, another way to put it is seeing the church is seeing Jesus. When people see a body of believers, what they should be seeing is Jesus. Right? Um, we, we have on our, we have on Owl Branch, we have this website. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's awesome. You should go there. And on our website, we have this staff page. It had, like, has pictures of all the staff, like a bunch of really good pictures and one really great picture. And like our titles and positions and all this stuff. Uh, a lot of Photoshop was done on mine. Uh, and titles and positions and all this stuff, right? 
That's funny, because that kind of ties in about filters anyways. Uh, but if we, if, we decided, if we decided as a church that uh, we were going to say, you know what, we're going to put Jesus on the staff page here at Olive Ranch, right? So we put like his title, you know, his name, Jesus Christ, Messiah, uh, and, you know, head of the church, and then like maybe, you know, 10 pages of aliases. And, and then, but his picture, you know what his picture would be? It wouldn't be Swedish Jesus. It wouldn't be white robe, purple sash Jesus. It wouldn't be, I got cool sandals Jesus, right? It wouldn't be any of those Jesuses. You know what, you know what the photo would be? It would be if I took a set of camera up here, put the timer on around in there, and we all just took a huge panoramic photo, and we put that next to his name, because we are the body of Christ. We represent the fullness of Christ. Us as the body of believers, when people see us do life together, when people see us gather together and live together in the name of Christ, they, they see Jesus. But if we don't keep Jesus as the head of the church, as, as our main authority, as a body of believers and as individuals, then we're, we're showing a false Jesus, a fake Jesus, a lowered Jesus that doesn't actually represent him. And, and that might sound like this difficult standard to reach or keep, right? Like, man, so like we as a church got to represent Jesus. I mean, that guy's perfect. He can dunk on a 20-foot rim. That's not fair. I can't do that. The standard he sets is too high, but it's not about representing his perfection. Here's what we represent, right? When we say, I'm going to let Jesus set the standard, and I'm not going to lower it or lower him. When we let Jesus set the standard, when we keep him as the head, when we make the shot with him as our head coach or as the head of the church, what we say, what we show is I got a really good coach because that's a hard shot to make. And here's what we say when we miss the mark, when we sin, when we make mistakes, when we can't make the shot. Here's what it says about our coach. Now, most people would say, like, if you had an NBA player and they were in a game and they were just like literally missing every shot and the coach kept them in the game, people would be like, this coach is an idiot. What is he doing? You know what the player's opinion of that coach is though? The player's opinion is, man, I have the most gracious, forgiving, loving, kind coach that I could ever ask for. And when we as a church keep Jesus as the head, even when we make mistakes, what we show is not a bad leader. What we show is a gracious and forgiving leader. Someone who loves us. Someone who says, here, take the ball again, but try not to do that thing you did last time. Or try this thing instead. And that is a great head. And that's the kind of leader, that's the only leader that we should have as the church, as a body of believers, is Jesus. And so there's three things that, that I just want to say that, that we can kind of do to, to make sure, and these last three things could be all their own sermons too, so I'm going to run through them quick. But there's three things that we could do to really keep him as the head. And the first is we need to remain in him. We need to be spending time with him. We, we, to where our heart is with him. He's the thing we care most about. The second is, is we need to have faith in him that is active. In other words, we're not just knowing more about him and spending time with him, but we're living our life in such a way that says, man, today what I'm about to do and the way I'm, I'm choosing to live today, I have to trust God to show up. I have to trust Jesus with this relationship in this moment because what I want to do, how I want to handle it right now, I really like to lower the rim so I can get that dunk. But I'm going to trust Jesus with his standard. And, and, and do this and take care of the way he says, which is that, that third and final thing, and that is to do the good that we are created to do. We are his handiwork. 
We are his craftsmanship, and we are created to do good works. He created us to do good works, and so what he says is what we should do, and I had a student a few weeks ago that, that actually kind of questioned this at, at high school winter camp, and, and this, the guy said, he goes, it just seems sort of selfish of God to tell us how we should live. Why does he get to set the standard? Why is he the one that gets to say where the hoop sits? That seems a little bit selfish. And I was like, yeah, maybe. And God is like, the Holy Spirit gave me this analogy. And I'm like, you know what? Let's pretend for a second you're created to be an iPhone, okay? Let's say you're created to be an iPhone, but in your mind, you just, you just really, everything in you feels like you want to be a spatula. Because like being on the grill, flipping burgers and, and steaks and stuff, like that just really sounds like a great idea, right? And so you go as the iPhone to Steve Jobs. Steve, God rest soul. Uh, I know you may need to be an iPhone, but just being a spatula is what I feel like I should be and what I think I would enjoy the most. And Steve's just gonna go like, well, it's not what I created you to be. You can do that. I mean, you're gonna destroy yourself in the process. It's the same thing with God. We were created for a specific life, for a specific purpose, and that is to be in relationship with him and do the good works that he has planned. And that's not selfish. That's a full life. Anything else that we want destroys us. And anything that we try to put over Jesus in the church destroys his body. It's unhealthy for the body and it's unhealthy for us. So we have to keep Jesus elevated in the church. I want to take just a moment now just to pray. Um, and, 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 and maybe you're someone who's, who's never given your life to Christ and you've never trusted in Christ. And, and it might be because maybe you've elevated people or a person over Jesus as the authority or representative of, of Christianity and God in your life. Only Jesus carries the image of God. No person or, or, or maybe an idea or whatever, right? So you've never trusted in God or maybe you've walked away from your faith because of that, because you've elevated in some way something over Jesus as the head of the church and authority in your life. Or maybe it was yourself or maybe you're just sitting here and you feel like you've been distant from God or God's been quiet in your life or whatever, or, or you feel like you haven't been growing and you've been stagnant in your faith. Maybe you've got something elevated over Jesus as the authority of the church and in your life and in your faith. And so let's just take a moment or wherever we're at and, and pray. And if you want prayer with someone, there'll, there'll be a prayer team up front. You come during the song, you come after the service and get prayer and just have a conversation or whatever. Um, but let's pray together right now. God, we just come before you admitting that your standard feels impossible to reach sometimes. God, we thank you, though, that even when we miss, you forgive us and you've given us uh, another chance. But God, we ask that you would forgive us for the times that, that we just try to replace Jesus as the head of the church. God, help us to keep him first in all things. Help us to not elevate other people or ideas or ourselves over Jesus. And, and God, help us to help each other not to do that. Help us to help each other to keep you as the head of the church and of our faith. God, again, we just thank you for loving us no matter what. It's your name we pray. Amen.